Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I have a guest joining us. Catherine Center is going to be joining us, and we're so excited to be talking to her. So over the summer, her book, Things You Save in a Fire, came out, and she's written many others that are beloved, and I know Gail has read a few of them. So we are, we're going to get a chance to talk about, we're talking about book superlatives. We did the show last year. Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves joined us, and we just kind of went through all the extremes of our our book reading, the longest books, the most memorable, the shortest, you know, the best historical. And we're going to get into all of those categories today, plus sharing a little bit about what we're reading, what's been going on with us, and it should be a good show. Catherine, we're looking forward to having you having you join us and share some books. Yay! <laughs> Yay. Catherine, we're so excited. I've read two, I think this year I read um, uh, How to Walk Away and Things You Save in a Fire. Two wonderful reads, great, compelling, uplifting, despite having some emotional heft to them. And we've talked about you a lot on the show. So we're... Thank you. Sure. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you, like where you live? Tell us about your reading, about your writing, so that our audience can get to know you a bit. Sure. Yeah. So I write novels that we kind of made up a category for. Um, We call them bittersweet comedies. So they're, yeah, they're, you know, they're sort of half tragedy, half comedy. They're, um, They're stories about people who have to struggle with real things, you know, hard things, big things, but they do that struggling by cracking jokes, <laughs> which is, uh, mm-hmm. which, which is, a, which is the perfect thing for me to be writing because that is in fact how I function in the world in real life, in my own life, you know, comedy and tragedy live very much side by side for me. Um, and, and joking around and trying to find whatever's funny in any situation is kind of my primary coping mechanism for all the hard stuff in life, which is something I'm always looking for in my life. I'm always looking to get inspired and to feel hopeful. And it's not easy for me to get inspired. I'm, it's very easy for me to get, um, discouraged. And it's easy for me to want to quit. And it's easy for me to, you know, just kind of be like, we're all doomed. And so I think part of the reason that I write these stories is because I'm looking for those things myself. And I feel like the books help Mm -hmm. me find them. So now when you, when you say we came up with this category, is that like you and your editor or the marketing team? Actually, no, I think that might be the royal we. I'm not quite sure why I always say it that way. Um, yeah, no, it was not my editor. It was nobody in publishing. It was just, it was like me and my, it was like me and my mom and my husband, we were like, you know, they're not, they're not just comedies. You know, when I first started writing them, even very early on, they just weren't cotton candy. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't resist wanting to create funny situations for the characters and have them say funny things, but I also couldn't resist putting in some like emotional ballast into the stories. And that was just what I did. And for a long time, I thought it was more of a curse than a blessing because nobody knew what to do with them. You know, they just like, they weren't an easy type of book to categorize. I think that may still be true, but, um, but I'm kind of carving my own category for myself in a lot of ways. Well, I hope hope a lot more people join in. I know Gail has heard me say probably over the last two or three shows that I have been reading some books and they are just so dark. Yeah. And there's just not enough levity in them. You know, I mean, I know not that people don't have terrible things going on and you can have a life that's mostly terrible, but I just feel like there is something that's funny. There's someone who makes you smile. There's one thing you can do. And I just feel like you just don't get enough of that in some books until maybe the very end or yes. I mean, yes, I 
think it's very easy for us to see things in very black and white terms. And, you know, I actually wrote about this in How to Walk Away. Um, the main character, you know, she's been in a plane crash. She's been injured. She's struggling to kind of try to get her health back. She's facing some really big, hard stuff. And somewhere in there, she's, she has a moment where she talks about something that I recently was thinking about, which is that, you know, motion, emotions are not monolithic. You know, emotions are not just all one thing. Even when you're grieving, um, there's laughter, you know, and there's comedy. So yeah, I think about these things a lot and how to find the right balance and how to bring people through a story that makes them both laugh and cry, which is, um, which is hard to do. Um, but that's what I'm looking for in stories as a reader. I don't want to just be depressed. I don't want to get to the end of a book that I've read and just have to curl up in the fetal position for like hours just to recuperate. You know, I want, um, stories that will let me feel it all. You know, I want to feel it all. And, uh, and I do want to come away feeling satisfied and, inspired and maybe kind of looking back at my own life with slightly different eyes. And um, so I'm trying to write the book that I would want to read. If I had like a free Saturday and a fuzzy blanket, you know, what book would I want to read? Well, that's such a great segue because we usually talk at the top of the show about what it is that we are reading. So uh, Gail, do you want to start and we can go around Gail, then Catherine. <clears throat> Sure. So I finished the reading challenge for my blog, which um, I was really hoping to do before the end of the year, and I'm glad to say that it's done. So I finished my self-help book, which was the skincare book. Um, I finished Charlotte Sometimes, which was my birth year book, and that was a kid's tr time travel book, which I didn't really like all that much. Um, I found it uh, – I feel like when you write a book about time travel – there's so much great narrative fodder there. You can talk about, you know, how the world looks different from one time period to the next. And you can talk about the sort of cultural disorientation. You can talk about the, all the like logic that goes into time travel, which makes things so confusing or the fact that your actions in one time period can affect actions later, not even just for you, but for other people. And I felt like this book like barely scratched the surface of any of that stuff. And it was more kind of action focused and much less focused on the actual complexities of time travel. So um, I don't really recommend it that much, but I'm glad I read it because now my, my birth year category is done. And um, I finished the 9-11 oral history, which I've been reading for the last couple of weeks. Um, I know I've talked about that on the show a bunch of times, so I won't say too much about it, except that I really, really highly recommend it. It was a very, very well done book and, and I think a really important book for people to read. And then Nicole, I just started, um, uh, one of the books we've talked about that's coming out next year, which is such a fun age by Kylie Reed. So I'm kind of excited to be getting into that one too. That seems like it would be a good book. You're doing it on audio, right? I am doing it on audio and so far so good. Yeah. There's lots of, com lots of dialogue in that book. Did you read it already? Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, good. Well, I'm excited to talk about it with you. <laughs> All right, Catherine, what about you? So, um, so I haven't, I, I have been reading sort of naughtily sneaking a book here or there this fall, but, um, but I've just finished uh, turning in this book. And so the, and, and the book that I'm currently reading that I've just started is uh, The Witches Are Coming by Lindy West. Um, and I, uh, I love Lindy West. She's a super, super smart um, feminist writer. She's very sharp and she's very funny. Um, and I read her book Shrill, which I loved, which is being turned into a Netflix series, or maybe it already has. I haven't watched it if it's out yet, but um, she's just, she's just hilarious and she's really smart. Um, so, so I've just started that. And, um, <laughs> actually my next book that I'm planning to read is actually a, it's a, um, historical romance. I love historical romances. I think they are very delicious. And it's by Lisa Claypas, who I think is a really fantastic writer. And, um, I'm laughing because this year I've done a lot of like, 
feminist nonfiction and historical romance. That's kind of been like the theme for me this year, which is, would seem to be maybe a little bit diametrically opposed in some ways, but actually not really. I think, um, I think romance novels are very feministy in a lot of ways. So, um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of deep thoughts on that subject. <laughs> so yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I am right now. I'm just starting those two and I'm, I'm, I'm done with my book. So I've got uh, the holidays and, you know, I've got a, a nice little break and I'm hoping to, um, dive into the many, many stacks on my bedside table and just devour some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's me. All right, Nicole, how about you? All right, so I just finished um, In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Um, it's a memoir that this woman, I guess she, I would say, her memoir kind of reads like an, a series of essays or a series of vignettes where she tells the story of her abusive relationship and she's a lesbian. So she ties in a lot of, I guess I would say court findings and oral histories of how lesbians have been treated, you know, like compared to heterosexuals in the same situation or the treatment of gay people in film. So she weaves that throughout her, memoir, I guess, or, or her telling of this relationship that she has that is takes place in her formative years, formative years when she is in Iowa attending the MFA program and dealing with this relationship. And I guess considering all of these different cultural touch points that relate to lesbians. And it's just so interesting to see that history, to see di- different criminal cases that have come before the court and where women have been treated differently because people at that point did not know what to make of, you know, what does it mean to be a lesbian and what crimes can you be guilty of or what is the crime that is being committed? Um, so she looks a lot at domestic abuse, I guess, and the history of that in the courts and also in, in literary criticism and film criticism. So that was really interesting. And it's on, it's on a lot of the year in lists that Gail and I have been talking about. So I would definitely recommend reading that. It was kind of on my radar of something I want to read. And then, uh, I'm I'm really excited about that book. Yeah. Glad to hear you liked it. Yeah. I mean, I like the way it's, it's accessible and each chapter sort of stands as its own testament to this relationship or, sort of like a lens through which her relationship can be viewed and how she ties it to the greater culture. I'm also reading Know My Name by Chanel Miller. Oh, that one's on my list. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. I'm, it's very good. I'm thinking I'm going to give it as Christmas presents to all my sisters and family members. Yeah, I, I bought that for my daughter. It's sitting mm-hmm. upstairs. It's really interesting because she goes so much into all of the things that go into the case. I mean, you you hear about these things, you wonder how someone gets on with their life, but there's so much that needs to be attended to when you are involved in anything that has to do with court on top of, you know, what other trauma that you're, you're going through. So she looks at it a lot about through the lens of what she not only what she's experienced, but what the experience of of trying to attain justice extracts from her and just, you know, what this does to her, like how her life is influenced. Um, she doesn't end up staying with the job that she's with. She is a little bit rootless and she tries different things. So it's really illuminating because, when, you know, when things happen to people, when things happen and you become unmoored, and there's usually so much that you're dealing with besides the inciting incident, unfortunately. Like, it reminded me a lot, I guess the court case too, reminds me a lot of some things that I've been through in terms of just the hurry up, the waiting, you know, the, is your story going to be believed? And, and what are the other parties who, who are involved in the outcome? So it's not a book that, you know, I find I read it like Gail, the way you read your 911 um, oral mm-hmm. history, kind of you read a chapter and it's not like you can just rush and read the next chapter. You kind of have to sit with it a little bit. 
Um, I thought, fo- but it's really, good. I follow her on Instagram and, um, she's really uh, very charming to follow on Instagram. She puts great, um, posts up. And one of them is about that very process of like, you know, as you're going through the book, take time to be gentle with yourself, <laughs> you know, and take time to step away and breathe and, you know, do self care. Um, highly recommend following her on Instagram. She's, she's lovely. Yeah. Her book seems like she would be and so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. So that's right. what I'm reading. Well, good. Um, all right. So should we jump into our superlatives? I think in the past, we've just kind of each gone around and alternated, took t- t- turns and said what the category was that we each came up with. Because we all came up with our own categories and we haven't actually shared them beforehand. So we don't know what everyone else picked. And then of course, if you've got a similar category, feel free to chime in with what was on your list too, so that we get, um, get to hear from all of us. Does that work for everybody? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. Well, I will go ahead and start and I'm going to start with <laughs> Nicole will laugh at this one. The book I most want to reread from this year. <laughs> so Last year, Nicole knows, I was, like, dying to get my hands on Daisy Jones and the Six. And it was, like, I rarely has a book been as hyped as Daisy Jones and the Six was about this time last year. And I finally got my hands on it, but it was a, it was a digital copy that I read, on, I, I read on my Kindle. And I kind of raced through it. I'm not a big Kindle reader anyway, so it's not my preferred method of reading. And I, I sort of sped through it. And then... I, cause I kind of felt like oh, I want to read this while everyone's reading and all this hype is so much. And then I heard like the amazing things about the audio and how great it is. So I would like to reread Daisy Jones and the six and I would like to do it on audio this time. And I would like to do it more slowly. So I enjoyed it, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I feel like I could have, if I had done it differently. So that is my book. I most want to reread. Um, I blurped that book. Actually, if you ever wind up with a, like a, like a finished oh. copy. My name is on the cover on the back. Oh, yeah. so exciting. Okay. All the more reason. For <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a big Taylor Jenkins Reid fan and I'm a big music fan and, and like like VH1 behind the music stuff. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of squarely in the audience yeah. for this book. And I feel like I just didn't give it the attention that it needed. So I want to, I want to re-experience it. <laughs> How far, how early in the process did you end up getting the Daisy Jones book? Let's see. Um, I mean, they sent me an, an advanced copy. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm bad with the time-space continuum. I'm going to say it was like in the spring before that book came out later. Um, mm. And, it, you know, it was just a, it was an early copy and um Taylor Jenkins Reid, I'm also a fan. She's lovely. And uh, I was very excited to get to jump in. And, you know, I remember reading that book um, in a very similar way to how I remember being a kid and listening to records on a turntable. You know, it had that same feeling. Well, I'm probably older than you guys. But when I was a kid, I had a record player and I would just lay around in my room you know, looking at magazines and listening to records. And this book felt like that. It totally captured that feeling. And when I think back on reading that advanced copy, I feel like I was, you know, lying on the floor with my feet up backwards over a chair, you know, in some patch of sunshine, uh, you know, just luxuriating in this kind of time travel experience of going back in time. So it was pretty Yeah, I hope you get to do that with your I know. with your audio reread listen. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So the book I most want to reread is a book I don't know. I've been thinking, Catherine, do you reread? Gail, I know you're not a big we're neither of us are big rereaders, but I feel like I'm feeling that pull lately that I want to reread more books. Mm-hmm. I read this book called Black is the Body by Emily Bernard. And I think the subtitle was something like my grandmother's story, my mother's stories and mine. And it's about this black woman, I think who her, most of her family, she's raised in the South. She ends up marrying a white man. And I think she teaches university in 
New England somewhere. So she's just talking a lot about the dichotomy, I guess, of her, how she grew up, how her family grew, uh, views things and just, um, then going on to live her life in mostly white spaces. I just found it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so you, that's when you're going to reread. That's when I want to reread. Yeah. I also read um, Tracy McMillan's McMillan Cottoms. It's so hard to say her last name because I want to say cotton, but it's with an M. Mm-hmm. And uh, she wrote this list, uh, this book of essays called Thick. And I really enjoyed those. And I feel like I would like to, read them a little bit more slowly and think about them. Cause on the one hand, when I first read them, I was like, Oh, these are so good. And you know, you're just kind of whipping through them, but yeah, I would like to go back and reread those. Um, well, in answer to your question of whether or not I reread, I, um, I do. And I don't, if I really, really love a book, if I feel like there's a lot that I can learn from it, or if it really like impacted me emotionally in some way that, um, that pulls me back, then I will reread it multiple times and I will highlight and I will write in the margins and, you know, I will really go like take a deep dive. Um, and I have some perennial favorites that I bring out over and over and over again. Um, but most books I don't reread. Um, and, and I think that's partly because <laughs> most books I don't like in the end. It's such a sad thing to say, but, um, ultimately like I'm frequently disappointed. You know, I always start with high hopes and then I read some book and I'm like, uh, is that what we had to do? Um, which I think is really kind of the downside of, of being a writer, you know, wanting to be a writer is I think almost like going to a magic show as a little kid and being so enchanted by the magic and then, and then saying, you know, I want to grow up and be a magician. And then you do, but then once you've learned all the tricks, it just changes the um, experience of the magic. And it's not, it's not necessarily that it ruins it or, or, you know, uh, disembowels it. It just changes it. It's just different. And, um, right. So unfortunately, uh, you know, there are many upsides to being a writer, but one of the downsides I think is that you're always, you can always see behind the curtain, even when you don't want to, even when you want to just relax and read. <laughs> and um, I think actually, I think that's part of the reason why I like reading historical romances like Julia Quinn and Tessa Dare and Lisa Claypaws. It's because that I don't bring that same hypercritical eye to reading those books. I can just kind of relax and let them be a delight. Um, so anyway, yeah, most of the books that I read, I do not reread them. Um but but when I get obsessed with a book, I definitely reread it a lot. One of my categories, I will say that I had Black is the Body as most memorable. So I guess that dovetails nicely with book I most want to reread. Uh, my category is most distressing book. And I won't go into too much detail about – actually, I won't go into any details about these books because we've talked about them a lot on the show. Um, Patsy by Nicole dennis Ben. The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. We had a whole um, book club on that about why it was so distressing. Golden Child by Claire Adam. And My Dark Vanessa, which isn't out yet. It's out in March of 2020 uh, by Kate Elizabeth Russell. And it was that was pretty dark, too, and distressing. I'm going to add to the distressing theme. And I won't say much because we talked about it, too. I'm going to add There There by Tommy Orange. Yeah. That that's a pretty distressing book. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Crathen, what's your um what's your superlative that you want oh, to share? Oh, I have a bunch of them, but you know, I think um uh I think maybe I'll say the best memoir that I read this year, which is actually um a tie, so it's two. <laughs> um but I uh and, and I listened to both of them on audiobook, which, um, which I love through Libro FM. And, um, uh, one of them was, um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. And the other one was, um, Sisters First by the Bush Sisters. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Democrat and actually I don't even know the politics of the Bush Sisters, but they're obviously part of a, 
family that's um, on the other side of that. And um, I loved them both. I mean, I just loved them both. And I found myself uh, kind of lost and caught up and feeling emotional and teary. And um, I felt so connected to them. I loved, you know, I love listening to uh, nonfiction on audio because I love to hear the author's voices. Um, for me, that's like an extra special treat and you don't get it as much with fiction. Usually with fiction, they hire actors, um, voice actors, which is, which is great. But, um, but I loved listening to them and I felt like I was just hanging out with them. And then I actually got to do an event with the Bush sisters, um, this fall. Um, cause they had a picture book version of this same memoir coming out for kids and they were coming through Houston. And so I got to, um, be on the stage with them and be in conversation with them. And I totally fell in love with them. They were the loveliest, warmest, most hilarious people. And, um, it was, it was just a treat to get to kind of hear about these people's lives. And I was really surprised, you know, I think politics is such a, um, you know, it's such a bloody arena that I, I, in a lot of ways you would expect that a memoir coming from people who are, um, in that arena in whatever capacity would be guarded and would be careful and would be, you know, scripted. And, um, I was just kind of astonished at how open and vulnerable and authentic, um, they were about talking about their struggles and their worries and their things that they were trying to figure out in both of the memoirs. I, so that I'd, sounds really, yeah. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of that. It's not, uh, it's not memoir. It is political. Uh, I want to read the Melania Trump biography. I mean, oh. she's such a curious character, you know, she's just, <laughs> There's just been so many just little strange incidents that happen around Melania that I would like to know more about her. Yeah, there's so, as a, we mentioned, becoming and the Bush sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a so lot of it's mystery. not a memoir. Yeah, it's a biography from someone you know <clears throat> who purports to have gotten pretty close you know, close to her in some capacity. So who knows how accurate it'll be or what my takeaway will be? But I'm definitely curious. Mm-hmm. I'm going to piggyback to, I have a category of best memoirs and I listen to these three on audio too. So first of course is echoing your vote for becoming, which is fantastic and wonderful on audio. And I'm also going to add Danny Shapiro's inheritance and I'm going to add, um, John Taylor's in the pleasure groove, mm-hmm. uh, which is his memoir about being in Duran Duran. So again, I, I totally agree about the, the author memoir narrator. It's a great combination right there. Yeah. And, just getting to get in their head and hear their voice is great. Um, are we back to me now? Yep. <laughs> I think so. Okay. So I have a category here of books I couldn't put down. So ones that just sucked me in and I just couldn't wait to get back to those books. So the two I have on my list are um, Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. And I also have The Hating Game, which I <laughs> was like a total guilty pre- pleasure and I just absolutely loved it. And it, I just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of that one. So if you're looking for something super, you know, involving, both of those are great picks. I'm sorry, the, the, the Hating Game is by Sally Thorne. That one's been on my list. I've been eyeballing it. And I also loved Evie Drake Starts Over. Yeah. Evie Drake, um, you know, it's kind of similar to your books. Like, um, she has tragedy and and difficulty and things she has to overcome i feel like yours have a light uh, let me be a little bit lighter a little bit of a more lightness and humor to them Evie drake felt a little bit more melancholy but i put those two in ve- a very similar category of you know types of mm-hmm. reads yeah i get that i totally see that comparison yeah all right nicole in your category Okay, so I'm going to say for most unique storyline that I read, I have three. One is Signet by Susan Butler. It is about a young girl whose parents have left her to live with her grandmother. And she lives on, the grandmother lives on an exclusive island that doesn't allow anyone, I believe, under the age of like 65 or 70 to be there. 
So she can come for a short visit, but she's not supposed to stay. But when she goes to visit, her grandmother dies and she's kind of stranded. She doesn't know where her parents are. And she has to sort of eke out a living on the edges of this elderly community that does not want her living there um, in the midst of a, a dystopian United States. So that was really interesting. The second book I would put in that category is The Need by Helen Phillips, which I've talked about at length, how difficult it is to characterize this book. It was, a you know, I loved reading it, but it's such a strange read. I think I had one more, but I forgot. Oh, yeah. Time Was by Ian McDonald, which was a time travel novel in World War II where um, these gay scientists are working on some mysterious project related to the war and time travel. And then they start time traveling and are trying to figure out ways to communicate with each other across time and possibly meet up. So sort of World War II time travel romance. Um, Well, I can jump in after that one because one of my categories was (laughs) best time travel historical spy romance that I read this year. It was also the only uh, book in that category, but it was called The River of No Return by uh, B. Ridgway. And uh, it's about uh, these folks who can jump through time. And it's just sort of this quality that they have. They don't learn to do it or build a machine or anything. And it kind of happens by accident. But when it happens, they get kind of scooped up by this um, society that keeps an eye out for these people. And then they get asked to go back and forth and solve problems and do stuff. And it's, um, it's kind of this great love story because he, um, the main guy, it's been a while since I read it. Actually, I can't remember his name. Um, he's, uh, kind of right in the middle of discovering this kind of delicious love with this person in his own time when he gets actually, no, he gets ripped away in the middle of a war. Sorry. (laughs) As I think about it, I'm like, oh, no, he's fighting. There's a bullet coming at him. And that's when he jumps away because it's fear that pulls you away. So that, But then he goes back and he sees this woman who he had always kind of had a thing for. And then this kind of, um, this kind of uh, romance develops. But he, he's been conscripted into working as a spy at that point. And so he has all sorts of limitations on what he can tell her and what he can do and how they can be near each other. And um, it was very delicious. And I, and then, then I got very obsessed with trying to find the writer um, because there's no other, I, I kept thinking this should be, there should be many of these books and um, there have been no more of them. And uh, so I was trying to find where she was and see what she was up to, but I couldn't really get very much information. So it's very mysterious. So is this one you've read th- that you've read and read again and again? You know, I haven't read and read it again and again, but that's more of a of a time problem Thanks. this year that I was so busy this year just traveling and running around like a nut. Um, but it's definitely one that has really stayed with me. And it's one it's definitely got potential to be a reread for me. Yeah. In the interest of time, let's just take a pause on sharing our categories. Gail, why don't you lead us through the lightning round for Catherine? And then if If we're still good on time, then we'll share a few more categories and anything that we don't share or get to, maybe we'll put it up on the blog. All right. That sounds good. Okay. So Catherine, these are the, um, the questions that we ask all our guests who come on the show. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, is there an author that you have read all of their books? Uh, yeah, uh, Jane Austen. I've read all her books and I love her and she's my, you know, sort of favorite early person who I fell in love with and wanted to be for many years. So you've read all the, like sort of the the less well-known ones like North Angel Abbey and yeah. And you know, the other ones too. The, the, actually the, as I say that the only one I haven't read suddenly is, um, Sanditon, which was, uh, which was not completed. You know, it was not finished. Um, so, but it's kind of been, people have sort of been working on trying to piece together the story. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the ones that are done. Yes. And, and I love her and I just think she's magnificent. Other than that, funnily, 
Um, I have, there are not, there's almost no one I can think of who I've read all their books. And I think it's partly because I, um, am super eclectic and always zipping around in different directions and wanting to nibble different types of things. Um, you know, I, I'll read a couple that I like and then by somebody and then I, and then I take a break. And also, especially sometimes if I really love a book, I don't want to go back and read anything else they've done because I'm afraid they're going to disappoint me. And I want to just keep the love mm-hmm. going. I want to just hold that, mm-hmm. that one reading experience, you know, in this kind of lovely heavenly light and not let anything change it or taint it or, you know, destroy it. So I'm kind of right. funny that way, but, um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to be a person who goes and like reads it, somebody, find somebody they love and then reads all their backlist. Um, yeah, but, uh, and it's partly cause I'm all over the place too. I mean, I'm just <laughs> jumping around from crazy thing to crazy thing. All right. So tell us about a book that everyone other than you has read. Well, there are a lot of books like that because I tend to be sort of ornery. And sometimes when a book is really, really popular, I'll just, I'll feel a resistance to reading it. Um, but the one that comes up a lot for me is wild. I never read wild. Mm. And, um, and I actually wrote a book called happiness for beginners about a woman who goes on a hiking trip as a kind of, um, endeavor for personal growth. And so it gets compared to wild a lot. And, um, they actually, the publishing house back in the day when this book came out, they, they styled the cover a little bit to kind of resemble the cover for the movie of wild, which, um, I, I thought was a mistake because, um, I knew I hadn't read wild, but I knew that it was a much darker kind of story. And, um, I knew that mine was much lighter and I thought, well, if you loved wild, if that was like a thing that you really loved and then you come to my book, it's not going to do the same things for you and you will probably be frustrated by that. So it seemed like a bad idea to me Mm -hmm. to try and tie them together, but, um, but they did. So the book has, my book has gotten a lot of, um, comparisons and people bring it up a lot when I go to visit book clubs and stuff. And and I always keep thinking, oh, I need to read that. So I'll know what everybody's talking about. But um, I hadn't even really heard of it before I wrote my story. It was just this weird coincidence. But it's kind of on my list to go and check out. But I just, I haven't. Yeah. All right. What's a book that everyone other than you like? <laughs> um, that happens to me a lot too. You know, I, um, I'm, 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 overly critical, I think of books and I wish that I weren't, I wish that's something I could fix about myself. Um, and also I will say, this is a hard question for me to answer because I, um, I never, ever want to talk trash about anybody, which, um, I know it doesn't, if you're a reader, it doesn't feel like you're talking trash, but if you're a writer and you are Mm -hmm. used to, um, seeing reviews of your own work and if you, and you know, as I know from the inside out that, if you review a book on Goodreads um, or Amazon and uh, and you say mean things, there's a pretty good chance the writer of that book is going to see it. Um, I mean, <laughs> it, there just is. And so, you know, it's funny. I years ago on one of my very first books, I was chatting with this mom who's a mom in the class of one of my kids, like another mom. Um, and she came up to me at a party and was just rhapsodizing about how much she had loved reading my book. And I was like, Oh, well, thanks. That's so nice of you. And then, um, like the very next day she went on Goodreads and like, she didn't really trash it. She didn't (laughs) trash it, but she, she got on there and was like, nah, you know, I've read better. And I was like, lady, I'm right here. Like, I'm going to see it. Um, so I think sometimes you don't realize, and, and, and I am at the point now where, um, I, I don't, I don't read all the reviews that come out, but when, but when I first started, I really, I tried to, because I felt like I'm putting these books out there, you know, they're for the readers and I want to see what the readers have to say. You know, I, I want to read their feedback. And so I made myself read the one stars, you know, on up. And, um, that has uh, changed a little bit for me. I no longer feel like I need to read all the reviews and I will frequently skip the one stars because what I've discovered over many years of looking at those kinds of reviews is that um, people who, who are really, really angry about a book are frequently not actually angry about the book. You know, it's frequently something else that they are struggling with that says really more about them 
than about the book. And I, I've just discovered it's kind of better to just avoid some of that. Well, how about a classic author whose book you did not like? Well, so yeah, I actually we can malign yes, the dead. Yes, that's actually the direction that I was going because um, I have a very specific memory of being in college and I had made it into this sort of exclusive creative writing class as a senior that everybody wanted to be in and you had to kind of, you know, um, apply to get into. And I was super excited to be there. And I, I went to Vassar and we would meet in the Vassar College Library, which is this very fancy, gorgeous, historic building. And I was just thrilled to be there. And on, on the first day, I found out that we were going to spend the entire first semester in a creative writing class reading Ulysses, which um, <laughs> I was super disappointed about because um, I had a feeling that it wasn't necessarily going to be the most helpful text for me as I was trying to learn how to be a writer. And then, yes, my hunch was correct. Um, Ulysses was not a particularly resonant book for me. I cannot say that I got through it all. You know, I did a little nibbling and I was just like, this isn't my thing. So James Joyce, I'm happy to malign. <laughs> just felt I'm with you yeah, on that, that was one. rough. Okay. And then the last question we want to ask you is, if we handed you $25 right now and sent you into a bookstore, what would you buy? Well, I think now I'm going to buy The Hating Game. Just from what you just said. Good. I mean, that one's been kind of been on my radar. It's been, you know, you see it around and I've been thinking that it looked like something I would really like and listening to you um, talking about it. I'm thinking, yeah, that might be my next read. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very much a mood reader and um, I have stacks and stacks and stacks of books, both uh, advanced copies that I've been, you know, sent and also books that I've bought um, where I'm mm -hmm. trying to always trying to get through them. And I'm not a fast reader, actually. I'm a very slow reader. Um, I kind of read at a talking pace. Like I sort of just need to hear the words in my head like music. And um, so it's a big commitment for me to take on a book. And um, so I try to really follow my own compass about what I'm interested in reading at that moment, what feels like it's going to um, speak to me and be resonant for me in that moment. And right now in this moment, <laughs> in the wake of just turning in my book, what I really need are, um, you know, I just want to read things that are delightful and page turning and, and gripping that, um, that will totally suck me in. Um, I'm not in the mood right now for, um, something harder or more emotionally grueling. I'm looking for something, you know, cheerful and, and delicious. Yeah. Well, I think that will fit yeah. the bill. Gail is two for two in that way. I think you got Jay Ryan to commit to something, too. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. What did I get him to commit to? I forgot. I think it might have been Evie Drake. Yeah, I think it was Evie Drake. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. Those are the two, the two books in that category. That's funny. Um, all right. Well, thank you for answering our, our speed round questions. I think we have maybe about 10 to 15 minutes left. And I thought maybe what we could do just so we can get our superlatives in is we'll just speed it up a little, go around and we can each just say our remaining categories so that we get them out there, um, before we sign off. Um, okay. I'm, I'll go, I have my overall best reads of the year and this was a super tough, category because I read so much great stuff this year. It was really, I think this was a fantastic year for, for books, especially for fiction. Um, I have for my best reads of the year, I have The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay, Ask Again Yes by Mary Beth Keene, The Dutch House by Ann Patchett, and Becoming by Michelle Obama. Those are great. Um, I, I didn't do a collection of best reads of the year, although now I wish I had, but, um, one of my categories was best general fiction. Um, and for me, it was mm -hmm. The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, um, which gave me a complete book hangover when it was over. And I just took me a long time to kind of return to my real life. God, I've heard nothing but good things about that book. Yeah, I know. I have it on my shelf. I want to read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah. grueling because it takes you to some very dark places and it's, um, it's, it's hard to be there sometimes, but it's also very redemptive and, um, and just totally immersive. You just feel like you've gone there. So she's pretty amazing. 
I'm looking at that right now on my shelf. <laughs> I've got to read that at some point. Um, okay, Nicole. Okay, so gra- best uh, best graphic novel is Good Talk by Mira Jacob, and that's the one that she wrote for her son, who had a whole bunch of questions around race. She's an Indian woman who grew up in Texas, and she's married to a white man. And I think this was on the eve of Trump's election when he was hearing lots of scary rhetoric on television and had lots of questions about race and whether he would be dragged off because of his skin color. And she conceived of this book where she attempts to answer all of his questions. And in order to do that, she learned how to draw and she, and she goes back through her own life to think about how she thought about these questions and how she became who she is and how she met her husband. And it's just, it's a fantastic story. Okay. I have most overrated. And I haven't really been bashing any books at all on this, <laughs> on this podcast, but I'm going to go with Trust Exercise for the most overrated book. We we read it. I think we talked about it in our book club, Nicole. Did we not? We did. We did. And I also read that with my In Real Life book club. And I think this is a book that led, left more of us puzzled and scratching our heads than sort of fulfilled. So that book has been winning lots of awards and is on a lot of lists. And I do, I'm not so sure that I would have put it there. So that's my most overrated book of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> One of my categories was um, best Malcolm Gladwell book. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I, I actually um, had a lot of, you know, house whiffery to do earlier this year, like a lot of things that needed to be cleaned and organized. And when I'm doing that, I frequently will, um, audiobook yeah I I get very yeah I'm very dependent on the audiobooks to keep my brain happy while I'm doing boring chores and um I feasted on a bunch of Malcolm Gladwell books and um but for me you know I mean it's always fun to listen to Malcolm Gladwell he's got such a great voice and he's got such a um thoughtful perspective on things but um but David and Goliath was my favorite of all of the books that I did in a giant binge session. And I think partly it's because of the final chapter, which is um, just incredibly moving in a way that I don't, I mean, I always think of Malcolm Gladwell as kind of interesting and good food for thought, but he doesn't usually kind of get me in the emotions, but that book in particular really kind of did. And uh, so, yeah, of, of all the ones that I listened to this, this year, um, Thumbs up on David and Goliath. I thought that was the best one. Okay, so my next category is Curious Narrative Structures, and I have two. First is A Good Neighborhood by Therese Fowler, and it is um, it follows the story of these two families who live next door to each other. One is a lo- long-term resident of the community, and she's raising her son, uh, her mixed-race son, and then a wealthy white family with a teenage daughter moves in next door. This family, they first they start to feud over uh, damage that's been done to, to uh, I guess, this historic oak tree that's in her yard when the other family moves in. And second, the there's a relationship that evolves um, in the course of this couple of months over which the story takes place. So the story is told by the chorus. It's told by the community, uh, this community in North Carolina who is looking at what has happened or is telling the story in the aftermath of a tragedy that has occurred between these two families. The other one is American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson. And that one is told... She is on the run. It's a spy who has had to leave her two young sons with her mother, uh, who from whom she's been estranged for several years, but she finds that her life is in danger and she has to take care of some unfinished business. So this story is told as a series of letters to her sons about the troubles that have that are going on and why she has to leave them with um, her mother. And I guess... It's to explain their origins, you know, her, the man she was involved with, who's their, who is their father. And 
you get the sense that she doesn't even know if she's going to be able to come back. So she's writing a series of letters for them. These are two frames that people either love or hate. The chorus and sort of like the almost second person letter writing. Yeah, I I like, I love epistolary novels. And I, I also like second person myself. So I would be I mean, that actually sounds like a really great read. I had one more category. It was um, parenting books. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I, so I have a two, I have a middle schooler and a high schooler. My high school is just sort of um, a junior and she's just facing all of the college, college stuff that happens. And, um, and I read two books in rapid succession that I loved that I thought were really great. Not just if you have a kid who's heading to college, but if you have um, kids in general, or even if you're trying to parent yourself, um, one of them is called Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be by Frank Bruni. And the other one is called How to Raise an Adult by Julie Lithcott Haynes. And they are both books that mm. are about um, how important it is to stumble and make mistakes and be free and um learn how to follow your own compass in life. And there are books that encourage parents to um, let their kids fall down and make mistakes. And uh, I think this generation of parents, um, myself included, could definitely use that advice. You know, we kind of started with this idea that we need to protect them from things. And both of these books encourage you to not protect them, which um, was, was great to read and interesting. And so it just provided this kind of counter argument to a lot of the ideas that we all kind of carry around as we're parenting in this, in this era. So I loved them both. Highly recommend. Those are great, great suggestions. Mm -hmm. I liked, we, I think Nicole and I both we discussed Julia Lithcote Hames. Yeah, we loved um, her book. Um, uh, was it American? Yeah, real American. The real, Amer real American. Real American. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, unfortunately, we have to we have to cut this off. But we want to thank Catherine so much for spending her Sunday morning <laughs> with us, looking back on our year of reading and. Congratulations on the success of your book this year, which was just absolutely everywhere. Which such a fantastic read, and it was so great to see you getting so much attention and and accolades Thank for you. it. So congratulations! We're excited to see um, to read the one that comes out next. Hopefully, we'll get on the early releases for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So Thank you. Do some early early um, you know viral excitement yeah. for it. Um, so thank you so much for, for spending the time with us and we're looking forward to a great 2020 in terms of reading. Yay. All right. Well, it was great to meet you guys and it was super fun to talk about books this morning. So thanks for inviting me to come. And for everyone else, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at NicoleBonia.com and me, Gail, at EverydayIWriteTheBookBlog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. <laughs>